Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to The Legendarium on iTunes. Uh, check us out at thelegendarium.podbean.com and also write us at thelegendariumpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome to The Legendarium. Today, Craig and I discuss Book 3, Chapters 1 through 4 in an episode entitled Frightfully Treeish, with a guest appearance from Craig's older brother, Brian. Finally, finally we're back. Welcome back, Ryan. Thank you. I'm glad to be back from this long hiatus. Yeah, well, it's not long necessarily if you're listening, but for us, we've been out for a couple weeks now. Ryan, congratulations on the man-child. Thank you. Your firstborn. I now have an heir to my throne. Indeed. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. I've seen him. He's cute, except for when he looks like Ryan. <laughs> hey. So, got a question for you. You ever run a marathon? Nope, and I have zero desire ever to do so. <laughs> Especially after reading this section. Yeah, this this section did not aid in that thought at all. You know, it, this is... Of all the things that happen, I gotta say, uh, it's a long book, three books, whatever. Um, it's a long book. A lot of crazy, magical, unbelievable, fantastical stuff happens. This is probably the thing that takes me out of the story the most. The idea that the man, the elf, and the dwarf just run for like three days. They're like, uh, yeah, I mean, I could I could use some sleep, so <laughs> let's get a few hours of shut-eye. And then they run the whole next day again, you know? It's, it's, it uh, seems a little... Uh, seems a little out there. In a in a story that includes like Balrogs and demons and everything, right. the thing that you have the biggest problem with is that the man, the dwarf, and the dwarf <laughs> Listen, can not... run for like three days straight. <laughs> I'm not saying this makes sense. I'm just letting you know. So anyway, um, so what else do we do? Uh, oh, my favorite. We get to say goodbye to whiny Aragorn and say hello to majestic kingly Aragorn. Okay. Yeah, there's just, you know, at the end of The Fellowship of the Ring, at the beginning of the Two Towers for the first chapter or so, he's so uh, whiny. Oh, am I making the right choice? Oh, I'm not sure I'm doing the right thing. I'm such a terrible leader. Where's Gandalf? And, you know, it just grates on my nerves a little bit. And then finally, when uh, when he confronts Eomer, he whips out his sword. And he's like, booyah, I'm King of Gondor. Don't forget it. Yeah, so... I love that part, and uh, finally we get to move past. Let's see, what else? Uh, we're going to hang out with two new races, orcs and ents. Right, because we haven't really had a chance to see the orc side of things very much. We've They've been there, but we haven't right. really seen... Yeah, but now we get to kind of uh, yeah, get to know them a little bit, see their culture, I guess, or at least their personality. Okay. Mm. Uh, let's see, Pippin comes into his own in one of my favorite chapters... Uh, when he, you know, he kind of orchestrates their little escape, or at least tries to. He's. I will definitely touch on this later, but yeah, that sounds creepy. Um, let's see. Yeah, and Fangorn Forest. Oh, oh, you know, something that I almost forgot to mention. I love going to Fangorn Forest and and the imagery that Tolkien uses here because uh, he calls it old beyond guessing, where trees have beards of lichen swaying in the breeze. And I just always love that. The idea of this forest as a bunch of grumpy old men just kind of mm -hmm. like, standing there. Anyway. Yeah, that's a I that's not the image I got, but it, that does fit. Yeah. All right. What was the image you got? 
Uh, well, I didn't see it as a bunch of grumpy men, but I did see, I, I did have a visual of just the long beards and everything yeah. hanging off of faces on the side of a tree. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. Uh, yeah, we're going to get to all of this and more, uh, right after Craig's Lord of the Rings trivia. So let's do it. All right. So this time we're putting 60 seconds on the clock and doggone it, we're going to pay attention. So oh, really? here we go. Get two of these three for question number one. Boromir, son of... Denethor. Theoden, son of... Thessalonius. <laughs> Eomer, son of... Uh, E-O... Uh, E-I-E-I-O, I don't know. <laughs> Eomund. Eomund. What is Eomer's title? Uh, he is... Captain of the... Er, third Marshal of the Rittermark. Oh. True or false, the Rohirrim have been paying a small tribute of horses to Mordor to stave off war as long as possible. False. False. Can you name the two horses lent to the companions by Eomer? Mm, blondie and Chocolate. Fangorn Forest used to be a lot larger. Now only two pieces of it are left. Fangorn, as we know it, and... Wow, I did not read, apparently. Yeah, the Old Forest mm. on the borders of the Shire. Treebeard has another name. His elvish name. Name that name. Hmm. Fangorn. Oh, that's the elvish name? Yep. What reason does Treebeard give for being positively disposed towards elves? Because they are kind of the forest. Yes. Uh, Kinder than the rest. I'll accept that. They also taught the ants how to speak. Which Isengarder leads the group of orcs? Oh, gosh. Good. I'm struggling today. It's like uh, Guthrak or something like that. Ugluk. Ugluk. I just remember it being a glug. So here's the other one. Which orc tries to take the ring for himself? I don't remember. I, I remember the section. I don't remember the names. <laughs> Grishnak. What does Pippin do to convince Grishnak that he has the ring? What does he do to convince him? Uh, oh, he does the Gollum voice. He impersonates Gollum. All right, good job. So, uh... What did you get? Like three? Yeah, two Maybe. or three at best. <laughs> we it really was a pretty attention. tough one. I'll, I'll be honest. That one was kind of ridiculous. Uh, I was prepping for all sorts of stuff. None of that. <clears throat> for a bonus, just in case, uh, just in case you did this part of the reading, Brigalad or Brigalad, who hangs out with the hobbits for most of the Entmoot, seems to like which type of tree the most. Um, I don't know. I Rowan trees. Oh, yeah. All right, well, uh, I would call it a valiant effort, but uh, I'll just say better luck next week. (laughs) (laughs) I accept. So here comes the challenger. Ryan, uh, your showing this week was uh, lackluster. Yeah. But, you know, I got to say, I'm not surprised. As I was writing out these trivia questions, I was... uh, Patting yourself on the back because you're like, there's no way he's getting this one. That is not it at all. I was rather trepidatious about, uh, you know, what was going to happen with this one. So uh, I apologize to our guest in advance. Let's bring him on. Brian, introduce yourself. Hey, guys. Ryan, Craig, long-time listener, first-time caller. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited to be on The Legendary. So, Brian, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I am the older, much better-looking brother of Craig. And uh, it's probably a good place to start. <laughs> um, I am 
not an aficionado, but I am a fan of Tolkien and Lord of the Rings. Um, was introduced to them in junior high. I actually first picked up The Hobbit, loved it, read through it. The librarian in Totem Junior High handed me uh, the trilogy. And, and she was I super hot, so he read it. the book and about half of The Two Towers in junior high. And I got so lost in junior high that I, I set them back down. And, and I didn't pick them up again until my 20s. Uh, about the time that some of the movies had come out, and so, um, but I'm always was this uh, was this before or after I built the Tolkien chest out in the garage? <laughs> I think that may have been about the same time. <laughs> I think, ask, ask myself, oh, this is crazy. I should probably read these again. So, <laughs> if we have to do an intervention for my brother, I should probably be familiar with the source material. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, you know, I will. Uh, that caveat right at the beginning, Craig, scares me a little bit on the uh, trivia questions, but I will do my best to do your worst. All right, no problem. And don't worry, whether you get one point or ten points, I'm still much better looking and much better at chess. So, <laughs> here we go. All right. Uh, we're going to try to whip through these as quick as we can. So, question number one. Get two of these three right. Boromir, son of... No idea. Theoden, son of... Glorian. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, Eomer, son of... Eomer, son of... Oh, I wrote him uh, something with an E. That's true. Correct. <laughs> uh, I'll give you a half point. Yes. What is Eomer's title? Oh, man. He's the, like... He's the third. That's third the sound of something or other. Yeah, third in charge of horses. <laughs> third marshal of the Rittermark. Okay, there you go. Yeah. All right, true or false? The Rohirrim have been paying a small tribute of horses to Mordor to stave off war as long as possible. False. They keep stealing all the black horses. Very nice. That's one point for Brian. Can you name the two horses lent to the companions by Eomer? No, you cannot. All right. Also, with an L, there's like a le something. Hasufel and Arod. Yeah, not even close. Yeah. Um, Fangorn Forest used to be a lot larger. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was a huge forest all along the western edge of the Misty Mountains. Now, only two pieces of it are left. Fangorn, where Merry and Pippin are currently located, and... Oh, um, where the elves are. Not Rivendell. Rivendell's the city in the forest... Lothlorien? Mm, good guess. Incorrect. It's actually the old forest on the eastern border of the Shire, where the hobbits already went through on their way to Bree. Oh, okay, so that right, that explains then why they had old stories about the woods being alive and stuff. Okay. You got it, exactly. Got it. Um, Alright, so Treebeard has another name. Can you name yeah. that name? <laughs> we've, uh, we've only said it about 50 times. Oh, um, Fangorn. Correct. All right, that's a hint, so I'll give you a half point on yeah. that one. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> what reason does Treebeard give for being positively disposed towards elves? They gave, they taught them how to speak. Correct. Uh, yeah, Ryan, I think... It, yeah, he just beat you. Um, which Isengarder leads the group of orcs? A gluk. Correct. A gluk. <laughs> which orc tries to take the ring for himself? Oh, um, I don't remember his name. I, I couldn't pronounce it. Grishnak. 
Okay. Yeah, something with the KT at the end, which made me think of a Russian. Um, uh, what does Pippin do to convince Grishnok that he has the ring? Oh, he says Gollum, Gollum. Correct. He impersonates Gollum. Um, all right, good. I think that's like four points. I think you doubled Ryan's score. Four or five. Four or five. Yeah, something. Ugluk, I'm impressed. I, I didn't think anybody would get that one. Yeah, Gluglug's not close enough, apparently. <laughs> um, so, Brian, there is a bonus question, um, which I really doubt that you're going to get, but we're going to give it a shot anyway. Bregalad, who hangs out with the hobbits for most of the Entmoot at the end of Chapter 4, seems to like which type of tree the most? Aspens. Mm, incorrect. Rowan trees. <laughs> Obviously. That's, I'm actually really surprised you didn't get that. Um, well, good. Yeah, 4 out of 10 on this ridiculous edition of Craig's Lord of the Rings trivia is not bad. So, uh, rousing round of applause for, for Brian. Hey, thank you. The victorious you. something. Hey, can I turn it around on you guys now and ask you guys a few questions about the chapter? I've um, gotten through uh, several of the casts now and uh, was excited to be on the Lord of the Rings trivia, but, you know, <laughs> things jumped out to me that I wondered if I could ask you guys about. So, are these trivia questions, or are they... No, no, just, just general themes, kind of observations, a few miscellany, things like that. All right, sounds good to me. So, one of the things that really stood out to me as I opened the chapter of the book, uh, of The Two Towers, is that there's no introduction. He just starts off saying Aragorn did this and that and the other and just jumps right in. And you know, I started thinking about other trilogies that I've read. It's in the fantasy genre, Brandon Sanderson, Patrick Rothfuss, other, others. And I, I started wondering, is that standard? Did Tolkien kind of – was he the first person to do that? And by, by way of contrast, I started thinking about the Hardy Boys books that I would read in fourth and fifth grade and how you know the first – Several chapters are just a repeat of every other Hardy Boys book. And, <laughs> you mean those aren't formula books? Never picked up another Hardy Boys book, but I, is that that standard? Ryan, you want to take this one? <laughs> I I do not guarantee the accuracy of what I would say. What I would say uh, was Tolkien the first? I don't think so. No, I don't think he said that. But is that a standard? Fairly. Fairly common. You may get a little bit of a... You mean a standard to start off without a... Much to start off without an introduction. Yeah, I, that's... Most of this Most of this fantasy that I've read, sci-fi fantasy that I've read, uh, you may have a, a preface or something in the first book, but if it's a continued series, I don't really see a lot of introductions myself, but that's just me. And then my answer... What? what the publishing work then of the book? Did he did he publish one? Wait a couple of years, publish the second one, or were these just like bam, bam, bam? Now you're on to something. So he the reason that uh, it reads this way is because it is one book. It was never intended to be three volumes, uh, and uh, it was only due to a paper shortage that the fantasy trilogy is such a thing now. So there was a paper shortage. The the uh, publisher, Alan and Unwin, in England said there's no way we can publish a 500,000-word novel. We're just not going to be able to do it. You have to split it up. And so they did, and they published them over the course of, like, two years. Yep. Um, and uh, so, yeah, he, he was writing one book, and they just arbitrarily cut it off at certain points and, uh, and split okay. it up. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, at least, you know, when you plug it into Goodreads, you get credit for reading three books now rather than just one. <laughs> so at least we know what's important, right? All right. So I've got one miscellaneous question, and then I have two questions that compare to the movies. 
but the miscellaneous question is about Aragorn mentions that Saruman gets news from birds. And it, that reminded me of The Hobbit, where Gandalf is, is sending birds to, to and from to get news from people. Mm-hmm. Does that come up anywhere else in these books? I, was, I, I don't know that it's important. It just stood out to me, and I was curious if it's a theme that I don't think came up in the movies at all um, that I've really noticed anywhere else in the books. Good question. I, don't know. I think I, there's a few different instances in – Let's see, in the films and in, in the book series, like with The Hobbit and everything, where birds do play a a role in it that perhaps he had an affinity or something because there's the, is it a finch in The Hobbit that's tapping on the wall? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not a finch. It's a thrush. A thrush. That's what it is. A thrush. You know, there's there's a couple different times where birds play, like, they're the... They're the messenger. They're the omen. They're the, the, the symbol of you know. Here's where you're you're on the right track because there's a bird there or information is getting transferred here. So well, and then take the eagles into consideration. The eagles save everybody in the Hobbit. Uh, they save Gandalf or Gwaihir. The the king of the eagles saves him from the pinnacle of Orthanc. Yep. Um, what else? Uh, they they snag Sam and Frodo. At least I'm trying to remember. At least in the movie. Yeah, in the movie at least. I can't remember if that's what happens in the book. Anyway, but yeah, so birds pop up a lot. And I, to be honest, I don't have a great answer to, you know, what the symbolism might be, what the reason might be. But uh, I I like that you brought it up because now we can kind of keep an eye on it. Yeah, okay. Maybe, right. maybe Tolkien had an eye on Twitter early. <laughs> Only he would have gotten in on the IPO. All right. <laughs> So a couple of questions about the movies then um, and, and how they compare to the book. The first one, I mean, this first one's pretty basic, but I'm just curious if I missed something. When I read the first chapter of The Two Towers and the death of Boromir, how it's described is Aragorn runs up and he's shot with an arrow and that's about it. And there's orcs lying dead around him. In the movie, however, there's a much cooler scene. Oh, man, where, I love that scene. Where, yeah, Aragorn comes in and he... You know, there's a big battle between that humongous orc and he chops his head off and et cetera and so forth. Did that, did Peter Jackson just make that up for the movie? Did I miss that in the book somehow? No, you didn't miss it. Um, the uh, the writers for the movies, uh, Peter Jackson, Philippa Boyens, and Fran Walsh, they, as they wrote the script for the movie, they kind of took Tolkien's tactic and, and wrote it into the script, which was, and then there was a battle scene. And what what was it? And then they fight like men. And yeah. then Peter Jackson would go, all right, let's turn that into 15 minutes of movie footage. You mm-hmm. know, and so he okay. he would just take they fight and turn it into something cool. Yeah, I'll tell you, my honest first impression of that scene was, hey, wait a minute. I thought that Peter Jackson stayed so true to the books that it's basically just word for word. But now hearing you describe that, it does make sense. And I, not to give away one of my future questions, but that is one of my future observations is, you know, the number, the amount of time that, um, that Tolkien spends on battles versus, for example, Aragorn talking to the writers of Rohan is like 20 pages long. And the, the battle between Aragorn and, and some of the Urukai and the orcs and things was like two or three pages. Right. Just made me take note of where Tolkien placed the emphasis. Yeah. Well, I think, um, anybody who's really been to war might not want to put as much emphasis on the actual battle 
as they would want to put the emphasis on the reasons for battle or the consequences of battle or, you know, the philosophy of war, that sort of thing. Yep. Uh, and especially, I would say, especially somebody who went through World War One on the front yeah. lines, in the trenches, you right. know, what a horrific experience that would be. So you don't actually want to talk about the battle itself as much as you want to talk about the stuff about the battle. Does that make sense? It's probably more interested in how people treat each other and how they interact with each other. Yeah. And spend a little bit more time. It's easier to do in a dialogue situation than battle. And battle's kind of the outcome of those interactions. Yeah. All right. I'm trying to think of many stories or many works of literature that actually, from that era or, or that are considered classic, that actually talk out a fight. Like where they go, where the they sit out there and list out blow by blow what happens. Because I can't think of many that actually list out the battles. Right. Like they'll simply say that, you know, and they'll talk about how then they fought enraged like men. they were. Yeah. How and then they fought like men, and that's that's all that you'll get. And I, you know, I wonder if that's uh, kind of a, a key difference between high fantasy and low fantasy, um, where you're you're getting into the minutia of you know really it's a movie in a it's a movie on page. It's just right. meant as, you know, kind of candy. It's popcorn. It's, yeah, have a good time. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but it may not be, it, it's, it's rolling in the mud. You know what I mean? I do. Yeah. When you get, when you get really into, you know, the sex and the violence and whatnot, and you, you get into that in great detail, it's, uh, it can be interesting, but it's not, uh, answering any of the bigger questions about life. Nor does it stretch its reader by asking them to come up with something on their own. There you go. Nice. All right, last question for you guys, a comparison, again, between the books and the movies. And uh, this is actually one where I felt like the book was better, and the book was more interesting to me. And that was specifically Chapter 2. I really liked Chapter 2. I loved that it felt like a mystery. It felt like I was reading a Sherlock Holmes book or a novel or whatever those are called, vignette story. Uh, because you know, you've got the three, you've got Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas. They're running. They're trying to decipher the clues. They're talking about their options. They're trying to decide where to go. And it's not until chapter three that you fill in all the blanks and you get the backstory. Just – it's an observation slash question. Uh, and the question is, can I get an amen from either of you or do you disagree? Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to – I'm going to – Cautiously disagree. Oh man! Now this is dangerous because you're actually in the same room with me. Well, it's it's okay, Craig, because he doesn't have that B on the front of his name, so that you know what Brian Ryan. Oh, gotcha. Come on, stay stay up with us here. Come on. No, I for me, you're you're hitting on a lot of the points that I'm that I'm looking to talk about, and this that section for me, I felt like I was going around in circles without. Without the intrigue of like you talk about Sherlock Holmes, it was like we're looking for tracks, and now we're looking for more tracks. Hey, look, we found a fallen leaf! Yay! And then everything is just like, well, we're not gonna, you know, we're, there's no way we can make him catch up. Let's just have the writers tell him what happened. Like I, I felt let down by that section. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. All right. I could, I could see that. So, any more brain busters? No, that's it. Um, you know, I, last question. This is just me being a little bit frustrated with fantasy books in general. <laughs> fantasy books, you get that map at the beginning. Of it. I have a friend <laughs> from college who's like, 
I'm not going to read a book unless it's got a map in the beginning. <laughs> sure. And we, we were roommates in college, by says, the way. I've never seen hobbits. What's a hobbit? You know, they're talking to Aragorn. And, and it made me wonder, like, well, wait a minute. How big is this land of Lord of the Rings that you can have these people that nobody's ever heard of? And yeah, they stick to the Shire, and so they're not. Yeah, it takes them 200 pages to get out of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, put it into modern terms for me. Are we talking like Europe? Are we talking Chicago? Are we, you know? Yes, uh, yes, we are talking Europe. Uh, so Tolkien wanted to create a fantasy for England. He This is like the myth for England, right? Um, and the Shire, I'm trying to remember exactly what he said. The Shire is supposed to be at the, like, at the longitude of, um, Oxford. Okay. And so that, and then, you know, you, you work your way south and you get towards the Mediterranean. And if you look on the map, you can see where Gondor and Mordor, they kind of are up on top of this, this bay think it's is it the bay of belfalas i can't remember that might be out west you saw how i did on trivia and you're asking me for names <laughs> locations anyway uh but they're they're out on this water and it kind of looks like mediterranean ish and um and you know the way that he describes the the um uh, allies of of sauron who come up from the south and the east it sure sounds a lot like they're sub-saharan africans and they're a bunch of you know huns from the east or or uh um whatever so yes it is it is europe and it is huge in fact i think one of the reasons that this was so earth-shattering when it was published was that nobody had ever done anything like this before this guy spent his whole life creating this world and it wasn't just uh you know it wasn't just a few hundred square miles it was gigantic and in fact interesting tidbit for you guys um the map that you see in the lord of the rings isn't even the whole map there's a whole section of it that's sunk in the first age before we ever get to the third age, which is what we're reading about now. Um, all to the west of the Shire, like where the sea is now, there used to be this whole other chunk of continent where a bunch of other stuff happened. And then the gods got pissed and drowned it all in the ocean. And now we're left with Middle Earth as we know it. And that was the story of Middle Atlantis. Well, that's, uh, <laughs> that's in the second age. And that's another story. I'm not well, kidding. Well, that's good. Hey, I, I want to let you guys get back to your insights because they're better than mine. But I, I'm pleased with my performance. I'm, I was very <laughs> I'm, – I'm happy with how I did. Let's well, put it that way. Well, let me, let me ask you, Brian, before I let you go for a parting shot. Um, sure. And that is, you know, the question that we ask all the time. I want to ask it to you. Specifically with these chapters that you've read. Is there anything that you can point to in these chapters that make you think, okay, this is maybe one reason why the Lord of the Rings is so popular, why it has endured for 60-some-odd years? Yeah, it's to me, it's a relatable quest. You can relate to pieces of every character, and in some cases, really see yourself as one of the main characters. Uh, when I was reading this section, I really identified with Gimli. Like, yeah, I'm kind of like that guy. I'm not going to get on a horse. Are you kidding me? Then, and then I'm on the horse. And I'm like, wait, what happened to my horse? That was way easier than running. And people, I think it's just so easy to identify with the characteristics of so many of the main characters that you really lose yourself in the story and you see yourself in the situations the characters are in and wonder how you would do. And then 
So I said it's a relatable quest. Everybody loves a quest. That's why the Da Vinci Code is so popular. That's why so many mysteries and murder mysteries and the TV shows are all cop shows and hospital shows because everybody's trying to find a solution to a big problem. And um, that's a great way to escape. Yeah, (laughs) like some of my friends in college would say, wait a minute. The Eagles could have just carried the ring over the top of the volcano and dropped it in. That would have ended the whole story. But you wouldn't have had a quest, and that's, and why, that's what makes it so fun. That's why they didn't write a book about that. <laughs> um, all right, good answer. I'll accept. <laughs> all right, well, thanks, Brian. We appreciate you coming on. And uh, right, thanks. We will, and, uh, if we bring you back, it'll be with a much easier trivia section. Excellent. Thank you for not uh, making me talk about my least favorite part of the book, which is the ends. Good luck talking about that. Peace. See ya. Well, that made me feel good about myself. <laughs> well, you know, it's not like he was, you know, stunningly successful, but only only marginally more successful than you. It's true. That was a very low bar I set, but that was a, I will do it better. It was a ridiculous trivia. It was really off the charts. But he had some good points as well in his questions to us, and... I'm glad you were here to answer those things because I wouldn't have known half of that about a paper shortage and yeah, well, yeah. I'm not. I'm not proud of myself. Okay, you should be. All knowledge, in one way or another, you should be proud of having. Whether it's useful or not is another question to right. the individual at any given time. It's useful <laughs> to us now. Speaking of useful knowledge, I have got some useless knowledge to drip <laughs> to drop on you in just a few minutes when we get to our 12 points sweet well i've forgotten some important things i'm sure some important numbers or things i'm supposed to do just to make space for these points nice hmm. what <laughs> i don't know <laughs> numbers <laughs> i have no idea what you're talking about like phone numbers uh just the point i'm trying to make is that i've cleared space in my brain and forgotten <laughs> important things to be able to make space for your yeah that did not come can... across <laughs> I have a kid, people. I'm not sleeping. <laughs> no kidding. You don't say. Um, well, good. Should we uh, do our 12 points? Yeah, we probably should. So, all right. Now, with the 12 points, um, we're supposed to have six apiece. I have like 80. <laughs> so, <laughs> let's just so back and sure forth for a little here. bit here then. Um, no, I. Uh, well, okay. So, a couple of just rapid fire ones. I'll, I'll get a couple of them out of the way. Um, I liked when uh, Treebeard is talking about uh, names and yep. like, don't give away your names too fast. And, uh, you know, if you really know a name, you have uh, some sort of power over it. Like, it, at least that's the sense that I got. And I, I liked seeing that little inkling from uh, or, or foreshadowing of so many fantasy novels to come. You read, uh, well, I mean, I could name a few off the top of my head, but I won't because most of them are crap. But it's something that comes up all the time, this idea that uh, that if you know something's name, if you know the true name of a thing or a person or whatever, you can then, command it. You, yeah, then you have mastery over it. Anyway, so it, I don't know that they really get into it much here in The Lord of the Rings, but but I like that idea. Yeah, that's actually one of the points that I grabbed was the importance of names and the value of words. Um, Because what I got from it, there was less of a, if you know the name, you can command it or anything. But he says that, you know, I know the names of these things. And when I know their names, I know their story. So to give away, to give away your name is to give away your story. And if you're, if you give a short name and you give it quickly, there's not much of a story that you know about that. 
that's why ant speak takes so long because everything yeah. they say you know there's a there's this story to to the whole ordeal so and uh speaking of names uh we mentioned earlier we get a little bit more of a glimpse into the personality of orcs here mm-hmm. and uh there's a concept that comes up that uh that well they're of course they're orcs they're horrible they're mean they're nasty creatures but what is it that sets them apart it's the harshness of their speech and how do we see like how does tolkien represent somebody with harsh speech name calling mm-hmm. you know i mentioned a few casts ago that legolas can be a bit of a jerk sometimes but he's just <clears throat> you know he's kind of ribbing everybody he's he's teasing he throws a few little jabs out every now and then, but the orcs are really vicious. And the difference is that, that it's name calling, you know, so they, they, they say swine, you little fool, miserable rat, maggots, apes, so on and so forth. They're calling each other names all the time. Anyway, I just wanted to point out the difference, I guess. Yes. Well, you fat cow. Um, there's actually something you brought up in the past. It was just kind of a more of a philosophical question or a theme than a actual example. But you talked about the morality of the orcs. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, there's actually this. There's a couple different points in this story where there's some time spent on on the dead, on what on care for the dead. We have it with Boromir. You know, you know, we don't want to leave him here. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, when the riders of Rohan. There's you. They talk about seeing their their spears. Um, right, they they bury them in mounds and in, sing yeah. a song to the dead. You know, there's that. Um, but I don't recall if I've ever. Part of me says I have. Part of me says I haven't. Anything about the orcs bothering to spend time to bury their dead? No, I don't think so. In fact, uh, uh, Ugluk lops off a couple heads, and there's a couple other orcs that get chopped up. As they're running through the plains, and Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli come upon them, and they're just laying there, right? Yeah, so that, when we talk about the morality of the orcs versus the others, there's a respect for life and death by taking that moment of respect, burying the body and and, enshrining this or whatever, that the orcs just don't have. So you're saying that the orcs lack a morality in this way. This is one of the things where I would say against the idea that there's some sort of morality to orcs, this is an example against them, that they just have no... Well, now, when it comes to morality, what I don't mean is that the orcs are good. All I mean is that they have a sense of right and wrong. But what they maybe they lack, instead of that sense, what they lack is an ability to look inward, an ability to uh criticize themselves and say maybe i should have done this instead it's all instinctive it's all very animal okay right so they they understand it but they disregard it okay maybe maybe i could be way off and you're welcome to challenge me later so maybe if i have more uh, substantial evidence other than they cut each other's heads off and don't (laughs) seem to have a problem about burying their dead yeah all All right. right Well, good. I, yeah, I think those are the only little things I wanted to bring up, and we can go on with some 12 points, and if there's any that we want to dive into a little more, we can. Okay. Okay. You want to start us off? Yeah, the first thing I want to talk about, the death of Boromir, and Brian already hit on this, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time. That was very little to do about something awesome. There are, the way that he describes him being found, that there are orcs dead all around him. At least 20 of them, right? Yeah, there's just... This man has this one... This one man 
in aiming to protect these the the halflings or whatever has slaughtered all these creatures and he's sitting there against a tree still alive at this point in time still alive with arrows in him and then the only thing we get about his death is the error is aragorn talking to him saying you know just his little his little spiel you know you did what you were you did the best yeah, you could yeah, yeah. or whatever type thing and i'm like this character this character deserved to have a little bit more more of a glorious goodbye so for me as a reader in order to get that you have to think in your head okay there's 20 around him i visualize my own battle of here's here's how this guy went down you know and in the movie it's pretty awesome yeah but uh i mean you can the the beauty of this of that section is that you can go ahead and write your own Boromir death scene and make it as awesome as you want or lack thereof. But you wanted a little bit more emotional impact from the aftermath. I would have, you know, I I would have liked something that, you know, where some we, closure, we, uh, just a little bit more, a little bit more of either either a little more detail as to what happened. Or just a little bit more, I don't know, reasoning behind it, and that I'll I'll, I'll come to that one in a, in a minute. Um, well, I you know I gotta say you've seen the movies, um, and pretty much everybody in the world has, judging by you know their box office numbers. We're not done with Boromir; he's dead, but we're not done with him, right? And so I would just say, you know, from memory. I don't really have anything to back this up right now, but I suspect that we'll get a little bit more um, later on, especially in Return of the King. Okay. There's, Fear not, little hobbit. There's one other thing about his his death that I had to start thinking about, because when, when he is talking to Aragorn or whatever, he, he admits what he has done, and Aragorn takes that secret with him. He says, I've, I tried to take the ring from Frodo. And it feels like to me... That that is his, I'm dying because I did this. Or this is the reason, this is the price I'm paying because uh, I tried to take the ring. Yeah, I didn't catch that. Okay. I didn't read it that way. Tell me more. Well, that's that's the thing is that I question, in my mind, I'm questioning, is that, you know, is his attempt to take the ring, is he paying, is, is this the consequence of him trying to take the ring or not? I'm inclined to say no. I'm inclined to say you come up with, against a horde of orcs with just one of you. There's a good chance that you're probably going to go down. Um, but that, that penance he's paying there at the end, you know, I'm, I'm going to die because I tried to take the ring. It's a nice romantic thought, I guess is the best way to put it. Then, okay. So that he died because he tried to take the ring. So <clears throat> I'm looking at the paragraph right now. Um, let's see. I tried to take the ring from Frodo. He said, I am sorry. I have paid. His glance strayed to his fallen enemies, 20 at least, lay there. And so when I read it, I wonder if it's, um, he says, I have paid, not, not like, not with his life, but he tried to repay that debt with the only thing that he really knows how to do well, which is fighting. Mm -hmm. I paid back, or, you know, at least I tried to pay through my, through my actions, not through my death, but through my life. Yeah, this here's sense? here's twenty orcs that maybe have bought Frodo time to get away. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> there's it's that's it's one of those things. It's kind of ambiguous. You have the opportunity to make your own decisions on that. But that was just something. His, Choose your own adventure. Yeah, his turn to page eighty seven. His death had a few different, rather open moments to it, where you could decide your own 
why is this the way it is? Yeah. Oh, man. Doggone you, Tolkien, for being so awesome. Good. Uh, is that your first point? Yeah. We, yeah, that was my first point. All right. Uh, let's see. What's the first one I want to do? Okay. What do you think of The Hobbit's unfailing cheerfulness? Do you know um, what I'm talking about? Yes. Yes, I do. So they, uh, they've just escaped from the orcs. They're, the orc camp is just about to be run down by the riders of Rohan. And uh, as they're kind of huddling there in the darkness, they're just talking like nothing's happened or like nothing is about to happen. Yeah. What are your thoughts? So for me, it was their unending happiness and cheeriness or whatever was in the right places for me to be okay with it. If at every moment they're happy and cheerful, you know, they're they're bound and their legs are going numb and they're having to have the orc ale, pour, you know, mm-hmm. pour down their throats, whatever. If they're singing and being cheerful at that moment, I'm sorry, it's you're pushing it too much. But, but they were, once they're out. Once they're okay. out, I mean, I, you know, it's okay to celebrate a little bit once you're you're excited, you've gotten away, whatever, it's fine. If you if you're too happy all the time, people start to question. I know I there's one person in my life that I have met <laughs> that um, I worked for a while with that was unnaturally always happy and kind and everything. And you do not it's you did not honestly believe that this person could be sincere, right? Because nobody can be that happy and that perfect all the time. And so I'm glad that the hobbits aren't that way all the time, but they are that way most of the time because it's believable. Yeah, it's an uh, okay. It's an actual personality, not a made-up personality. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, I, the only thing that uh, that I wondered was whether, you know, like a, like you, I think this is a, a highly believable uh, set of characteristics for somebody or for a pair of people to have. Um, but I, I wondered if this is a real thing, and if we could emulate this, do we want to? Do the hobbits lack a certain? gravity when it comes to certain situations it, should they take things more seriously um is this a dumb question i think depending uh, are you generalizing hobbits as a whole or just the hobbits we're dealing with now well, i mean we're only dealing with these two so because these two specifically that like, that is the that's their kind of that's their character traits is yeah. their the hobbits take things seriously um Frodo and Sam on on their side, which we haven't, you know, we don't hear about for a while. But obviously, when they left, the, it was a very serious moment. There wasn't singing and cheering as they were rowing off the other right. side or whatever. Yeah, that's a good point. So hobbits as a whole, no. These specific hobbits, I think it's just a personality trait of them, and it's okay to emulate that. It's okay to be, you know, if if that if your personality is to be happy and go lucky and to take advantage of those moments, great, more power to you. You probably at some point in time. Are the type of person who cracks a joke at the in an opportune moment. Me? No, I'm not. I'm not. And you didn't hear me do any of that in high school, I'm sure. <laughs> um, okay, good. Your next point. Okay, my next point. Again, Brian, Brian hit so many of my points when we were talking, but the chase sequence for me was boring. It bored me, and I already kind of explained why. But it's a realistic chase scene. Half the time when you read it, well, (laughs) with the exception of the unending ability to run that only exists inside of video games, um, it's a realistic, it was a more realistic chase because half the time you read in a story or you see in a movie or whatever, you start to chase this whatever, and somehow you magically make up all this distance 
or, you know, you can lay your head on the ground. You know, I know Aragorn actually does this, but you can lay your ear on the ground and this group that's 50 miles away from you, you can count how many people there are. It's just like, yeah, that doesn't happen. But finding tracks, finding broken pieces here, finding, you know, the the shape of smaller feet as they're, you know, getting away or whatever. Right. Like that to me, it was, it read as this is, this is real. And they're not making, they're not catching up to these, these orcs really, to be honest, they're not catching up to them at a speed that would get them there in time. So it's realistic. It's boring. It's boring, much like real life. <laughs> Quite frequently. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, although I gotta say, if I ran for three days straight, I, you know, bored, I might be, but I would still write a book about it personally. Well, if you're chasing something for three days, I guess. I suppose. Um, yeah, Forrest Gump, right? He, well, I guess that was only one scene out of the movie, so whatever. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. Hobbit stuff, Hobbit stuff. Oh, no, you know what? I want to do something else. There is a device that Tolkien uses every so often. He's done it already a couple times during the book, and he does it twice during this section, chapters one through four. Uh, and that is, um, he describes something through a future flashback. So, for instance, when describing Treebeard's eyes, we're told about how Pippin would often describe them later in his life. And I'm trying to decide how I feel about this. Does this ruin the ending? Does this give us... Uh, is it a tool that makes us feel like, oh, I'm reading a... Uh, you know, something out of history, you know, what do you think? I think it fits the style of, of the story. We're not reading this in real time. We're not, we're not with the story in real time. We're getting the story as it's being written by uh, Frodo and Bilbo. Yeah. And Bilbo. So for them to do that future flashback makes sense um, when you take that into consideration. Now, if you do that in a book that that's not the case where the whole thing is, the narrative being told after the fact. Yeah. If you do that, then it's a, then it's a bad thing. Cause then you've given a spoiler midway through that, you know, this character will survive or this right. character will, you know, this is going to happen, whatever. So in general, I'm against it in this case, because of the narrative style being used, it's fine. Okay. I'll buy it as well. You should. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, the ants, uh, the ants, I'm a fan of the race, I think. <laughs> but you're not sure. But there's... When they first started describing the Ents and Treebeard's talking or whatever, I felt like I was taking the SATs. Like... I Trying to grasp the longest paragraphs ever. Well, yeah, but there's these moments of Ents are not trees, but... And trees are not ants. You know what I mean? Like the, yeah, yeah. not all ants are trees or not all trees are ants, but all ants are trees. Well, but... tree, trees can be entish. Trees and ants can be tree-ish, but ants and trees are two very different things. So are all trees then related to your, that's, that, that's what I'm getting at is there was just this very ridiculous <laughs> if moment. A equals B and B equals C. Exactly. There was the just, trees are kind of like ants. That's exactly what I'm talking about. I was just like, okay. You've described him. He's got a skin that looks kind of like bark, but isn't choppy like bark. But his arms aren't kind of like that because they need to be able to bend. But his knees don't bend. I'm like, okay, so is he a tree or is he not? (laughs) 
are ends trees or not, or are the, you know, I, I just, I, I wanted a little more, a little less of they're like this, but not this. It's yeah. like, I'm, I'm trying to play taboo with you where I can't say the word of what they really are, but right. I'm like, just, and this is why every illustrator for Tolkien ever since this was published has just torn out their hair. I think when it comes to the ends, cause how in the world do you illustrate something that is described in this way? You can't. Yeah, it's... So, uh, you know, and so we can talk about Peter Jackson's ends. I think they're about as good as you're going to get. Yeah, that's I, that's what I had to go to in my mind. Because I'm right. like, if you didn't, if I didn't have this in my head, I wouldn't know what to picture. Yeah. I would, yeah. Just, I would picture... I would picture a tree. I would picture... Actually, you know what I would probably end up picturing? I would probably have pictured the stick creature from A Bug's Life. <laughs> good choice. You know, the, as I was reading Treebeard this time, it, he, he, I thought of him as a tall, barky, old, slow version of Tom Bombadil. Did you get that? He's always singing. He's always reciting poetry. He's, he just, he talks all the time. He's that's, always going. That's, well, let me just knock out this last point there. Then Tom Bombadil and the Ents. Why do people have as much of an issue with the ends as they have with Tom Bombadil? Because when we talked originally about Tom Bombadil, like people, there are people who just want to staple that section shut and rip it out or whatever. Sure. The ends obviously play a larger role than Tom Bombadil because mm -hmm. they, uh, storming know. of Isengard and all that. Yeah. Which by the way, I don't know why it didn't dawn on me. Apparently they decide to go to war instead of having to have this you know, great <laughs> talk from Mary about why they should be, why they should care. Yeah. Anyway, there's there's a difference move difference between the movies and the books that I thought. Oh well, because I'm sitting here waiting for Mary to come in and make and his make his grand speech. Yeah. No, you need to care because you live in this world too. And they're like, no, Thanks we're gonna go. not doing the accent, by the way. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you mean. Anyway, what was the point that we just diverged from? The point that we just diverged from. Um, My word, we are organized. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, Gosh. Oh, Ensign Tom Bombadil. Getting yes, back to Tom Bombadil. That's right. Why does he persist in writing forest creatures that have, that are like, just crazy? I mean, that's <laughs> everything else. You know, you have elves, you have dwarves, you have the orcs, you have all these other things. Then you have the tree people, like the ants. I'm calling right. them the tree people because that's what they are in my head. Sure. No, that's, that's fine. I don't know. I don't know. But that brings up another point of mine, if you don't mind moving on Fine. a little bit, which is that, uh, uh, let's see, but, 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 okay, Fangorn Forest is described as frightfully tree-ish, in quotes, mm -hmm. uh, frightfully tree-ish. It's not black and evil like Mirkwood, uh, but somehow it feels menacing, you know, much like when we went through the old forest, it's going to have the same feeling mm -hmm. that we did up there. Um. And uh, let's see, where is my... Okay, so the feeling that I got was um, it's like a, a bunch of old men, like I said, with the beards swaying in the wind. And, mm -hmm. You know, they're like, you damn kids, get off my lawn! You know, and so the, it's it feels like, oh gosh, I really shouldn't be here. But they're not, but they're, it's not evil, right? Like, like Bilbo felt in Mirkwood with all the spiders and everything. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting that Tolkien has this view of nature you know you're so your question is why does he 
keep writing about nature. And I don't know, but something that I want to put out there is that Tolkien felt really ambiguous about nature. On the one hand, nature is the ultimate good on this earth, right? It's, um, it's God created and, uh, it's the, it will ultimately triumph over machines and all this stuff that, that he writes. Uh, but at the same time, he seems to feel like it's menacing. You know what I mean? Okay. So why is that? I wonder. And what is he getting at? Is this just his unconscious feeling about nature coming through? Or was it a, a very conscious effort, effort to say something specific about nature? If anything, it's just that nature can be all of the above. The answer is all of the above. Yeah. It can be menacing. It can be beautiful. It can be all those things. I actually kind of had a better, a, a different visual pop into my head as you were describing Fangorn versus Mirkwood or whatever. And I think now, again, if I didn't have the films to, to, to guide you to, through, to train my thoughts in a certain direction, yeah. I would imagine the forest in Wizard of Oz where the trees throw the apples back at Dorothy and, and the Scarecrow. I, I barely remember. Oh, but yeah, okay. it's ringing a bell. Yeah, that's that right there is what I envision Fangorn kinda Forest. Like, kind of like prankster trees. They're, they're not prankster trees. They're grumpy, angry trees because, yeah. you know, they, the, you know she Dorothy takes Stop an apple. Stop picking my fruit. You know, you know, how would you like it if someone came and took an apple off of you? Right. And then they start throwing the apples at them, you know, and then they really, and it's they start to kind of try and usher them out of the forest because you shouldn't, you know, stop bothering us. Get out of here. It's not necessarily an angry, I want to hurt you. It's just don't bother us. And that's more how I envision Fangorn now. All right. Well, I'm going to come back to Fangorn on my next point, but why don't you go ahead? Uh, We have utilized the majority um, of my points, but uh, I just totally spaced. I had one other thing I wanted to, do you want me to go on with my Fangorn one? Go go on with your Fangorn one, and I'll see if I can remember the other one that I have. All right. Well, any any extra information that you have in your head is about to be shoved out by some extraneous information. Fantastic. I hope you're ready. The origin of the Ents. Um, yeah. Do you want to know the origin of the Ents? Yes. I think it's interesting that the origin of the Ents is uh, rooted in marital strife. Good choice of words there with the rooted... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, yeah, let's see. Tolkien, well, so when he wrote the Ents, they were um, supposed to be the opposite, essentially, of dwarves. So, huh. I mean, you know, they mention, uh, Treebeard mentions trolls as counterfeit Ents, right? Mm-hmm. But way back in that first age that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, um, there are the gods, right? God, there's the one God, and he has his servant gods called the Valar. And they're the ones that kind of rule over Earth. Well, two of them are named Aule and Yavanna. And he, Aule, is married to Yavanna, and uh, they they have a very tense partnership. He's the god of, like, craft and mining and building stuff and kind of very earthy stuff think think dwarves mm-hmm. right and uh, anyway they these valar are all waiting for the elves to awaken they're very excited for the children 
that uh, that God or Iluvatar is making to, uh, they're very excited for them to come. And he gets impatient and he creates his own. He actually creates the dwarves and uh, tries to give them life, but he can't because he's not technically the God. He's just a God. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so um, the God gets a little bit uh, angry and he says, no, this is... You, you shouldn't have done this. You're counterfeiting my work. You're you're not doing the right thing here. So Ali is about to destroy these seven dwarves that he's made. And, and his bod, his Wait. boss, the god, stops him from doing that. He made seven dwarves? Yes, he did. So uh, he's about to destroy him and he says, no, don't. Just wait. And, uh, and then after the elves awake, I'll awaken these as another of my children. Mm-hmm. And and anyway, when he does, uh, he he awakens them with that spirit of Aule. And it's very, you know, earth-driven. Metal, stone, machines, all that sort of thing. Um, and so Yavanna, who is the goddess of plants, life, all living things, says, wait a minute, my husband's work is like his works, they're going to destroy all of mine. What, what am I supposed to do? Just sit there and watch that happen. And so she is allowed to create ints to act as a counterpoint to dwarven uh, tendencies. Interesting. Is it? Is it? Yeah. Well, it's, (laughs) I, that's a, I don't know that, Yes, it is useless knowledge. You can say it. It's okay. No, there's there's a lot of parallels to that to to real life and to other uh, other stories. I think we would end up spending a ton of time and definitely sleeping on the couch for a while if we got into the uh, the discussion about marital, marital strife. strife. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if you ever call your wife an ent, there's definitely going to be a few days of uh, uncomfortable or, or sleeping. Or an ent wife. An ent wife. Man, <laughs> yeah, when you were an Ent Maiden, things were different. Um, yeah, that whole section, the Ent Wives versus Ent Maidens and everything, I, like I said, this this has not been my favorite section to read. Okay. I probably have to put this on the bottom, like, it's fighting for the lowest spot of my least favorite section to uh, to have read so far. Yeah. Alongside what, Tom Bombadil? Tom Bombadil was weird, but I didn't have a problem, like, I didn't yeah. really hit it, but it was... This one was just kind of like, I gotcha. let's move it along. Let's move it along. It's like the 200 pages in Count of Monte Cristo that take forever to get through, but so, have to be there. Did you ever hear why Tolkien wanted to make walking, talking trees in the first place? No. Macbeth. This is a very famous story in Tolkien lore. Uh, he, as a kid, is, you know, the equivalent of what, junior high or high school or something. He saw a production of Macbeth for the first time and got really excited because he heard that Burnham Wood was going to come to Dunsinane. <laughs> <laughs> and then he was really disappointed because it turned out it was just a bunch of guys with like, they were waving branches around and acting like trees or something. I, okay. I'm a little, I'm a little hazy on exactly how the story goes in Macbeth, but so he gets really disappointed. And he's, he's kind of pissed off and he's like, someday I'm going to write, I'm going to do that scene. Right. Mm-hmm. So he writes the entire Lord of the Rings story around just so he can create those trees to get back at the stupid high school Macbeth group. Exactly. So anyway, um, yeah, I always thought that was interesting. Huh. So uh, later we will see 
a whole forest march on Isengard. Uh, well, on Isengard and and on uh, Helm's Deep. No, uh, we'll get there. Yeah. I'm spoiling it for you. So yeah, do you have any more points? Did you think of yours? Nope, I can't, and it's it's going to elude me probably for the rest of the, of the cast. So okay, well, I've got a couple more. Um, moral relativism. Oh, getting into some heavy stuff here. Uh, Put on my philosopher cap. Tolkien roundly dismisses the concept of moral relativism in the conversation between Aragorn and Eomer. Uh, do you remember the one? They're sitting there chatting, and and Eomer is is very uh, astounded that all of these things that are happening are happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and and it's it's like the end of days, right? This is the second coming in in modern parlance. And he says something like, uh, you know, how are we supposed to judge what to do in such times? And Aragorn, oh gosh, what does he say? Um, I can't even find it anymore. Anyway, he says, what are we supposed to do in such times? And Aragorn says, how are we supposed to judge? He says, we judge as we have always judged. Good and evil haven't changed between yesterday and today. Good and evil aren't different things between men and elves and dwarves. Um, just because these marvelous things are happening doesn't mean that uh, that your the way that you judge has to change. Hmm. Moral relativism, apparently, a bad thing. Thoughts? An arguable point, um, but a good a good overall theory, not necessarily entirely sound. Okay, how come? Um, <laughs> we're going to get into a long uh, discussion on this one. So, the idea that good and evil are as they have always been and do not change is true-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if if you follow along the basic Judeo-Christian philosophy, then yes, good and evil don't change. It's how everything's changed. It's you know. The tools change, things like that, but good and evil are always what they are. Um, but there are a lot of things that as to, for different individuals, like different cultures, different groups, good and evil, good and bad, are not the same as they are for others. So moral relativism as a whole, like, kind of works, but yeah. in, at the same time, it it doesn't. I get what it's going on here. For this story, it makes sense. Well, you know, I think there's a difference when we talk about good and evil. There's there's situational and then there's absolute. Right? There there are absolutely good things and there are absolutely bad things. And those aren't going to change based on the situation. But there are maybe some decisions that that uh, at one time might be considered like you brought up uh, in an earlier cast there's good better best mm-hmm. what what was a good decision earlier might not be such a good decision now based on this situation even though we're basing it on the you know the same type of judgment and the same type of uh you know absolute good and evil the situation calls for a, a good better best or you know bad good better best scenario does that yeah. make sense yeah, and I think those those scenarios will exist uh, exist more in this story and in literature and everything and in real life. Um, 
absolute good and absolute evil. Again, that's a philosophical mm. yes or no and hour long discussion about that. But um, yeah, for the most part, for this point of the story, I get what Aragorn's saying and I get why it works and it works for what they're talking about. Yeah. All right. So the last point that I want to bring up uh, is it's around how much I love this reading of the Lord of the Rings that we're currently doing. Okay. This is at least reading number 12 for me, at least. I mean, I don't know how many I've actually done. But uh, I've read this book a lot of times very quickly. You know, you you just rip through it. And it's great to do it that way because you get to see the story itself unfold very quickly and, and concretely. And, you know, it's very easy to see the arc of the story happen. It's not so easy when you're doing a close reading like we're doing. We're going very slow, uh, you know, taking it kind of chapter by chapter. But I love this way of doing it, you know, at least this time. And one of the reasons is uh, there are so many little connections that make this uh, this myth that Tolkien has created very fun very mm -hmm. and, and very cohesive between all the different stories. So when Merry and Pippin have escaped from the orcs and uh, the riders of Rohan are closing in, Merry and Pippin kind of escape and they go toward the eaves of Fangorn. Then they're standing up on a hill and looking down on what's happening. And uh, the way that it's described, I'll read a, a couple sentences for you. Out of the shadows, the hobbits peeped, gazing back down the slope, little furtive figures that in the dim light looked like elf children in the deeps of time, peering out of the wild wood in wonder at their first dawn. So the sun is coming up, and, and so he compares them to these elf children. And so normally I'd just skip over that, be like, oh, that was a nice sentence, whatever. But let's go on, to, on with the story. And this time, because it was such a, a slow reading, I said, all right, why are we making this comparison? And so I went back and looked. And actually, he's comparing them to the first elves, way, way back to when God first created them and awakened them. They were, I did a little research here, um, I knew the broad strokes, but I needed the specifics. They were awakened uh, at a little, uh, or big, I don't know, lake called Quivienen in the wild wood, which is what uh, Tolkien says here, peering out of the wild wood. They were awakened at the wild wood. Uh, and uh, when the elves were awakened, they it was there was no daytime; it was like perpetual night. Mm -hmm. and that's why they love the they love the stars so much. They kind of grew up with the stars. Hmm. And then, but you can imagine if you'd gone through night your whole life, and then suddenly light appears and the world lights up and it's daytime. How amazing that would be, right? Or terrifying. One or terrifying, two. sure. Anyway, but I, and I like that. Or terrifying. So it's a, a very apt comparison. So here's Merry and Pippin, who have been through so much stuff, um, you know, Balrogs and orcs and, and whatnot, but they've always kind of been tagalongs, right? They've had Gandalf, they've had Aragorn, Boromir protecting them, or at least trying to. Um, and now, finally, they get to have, this is the dawn of their own proper adventure. Mm -hmm. They're out on their own. They're like these newly awakened little elf children gazing upon their first dawn, right? Here we go. Now it's time for our story. Okay. So anyway, it's I don't have anything else to say about it other than I really like those little tidbits that a slow reading and a, and a good understanding of 
the myth behind the story mm-hmm. can give you. Mm. Yeah, never would catch anything. That's something that you, you just don't catch without that extra information. So, yeah. very cool. All right. So, uh, I think we've rambled on long enough. What do you think? I think so. <laughs> okay. So, let's go ahead and we're going to gonna go into, I think, what do we just do? Four chapters. I think we're doing three chapters here going to the end of uh, Helm's Deep. So, chapters five through seven. And uh, we'll, so we'll see you on the other side of Helm's Deep. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to The Legendarium on iTunes. Uh, check us out at thelegendarium.podbean.com and also write us at thelegendariumpodcast at gmail.com.